The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the 28th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He's been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him, took hold of his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While they were going, some of the guards went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. And after the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, You must say, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This morning, I'd like to speak to those of you who find yourselves on the fringes of faith. This includes those who come to church religiously but still have some doubts. And it includes those who don't come to church often but still have some faith. And I think that pretty much accounts for everyone in this room. There is a believer and an unbeliever living in all of us, especially at Easter. What if you saw the resurrection of Jesus? What if you didn't have to rely on church tradition or ancient documents for the historicity of this day, but were an eyewitness to Easter? Would it then be easier to believe? Matthew tells us that the guards at the tomb saw everything. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. So not only did they see the resurrection, it terrified them. And you would think that after seeing something so overwhelming, these guards would get down on their knees and say, My God, we were wrong. We just crucified your son. Forgive us, for now we believe. But that's not what happened. 
Instead, we're told the guards left the empty tomb and told the chief priests what happened. And the priests offered them a large sum of money if they would only say that Jesus' disciples stole his dead body. So that's what the guards did. They took the money and they told the lie. It's amazing. These men are eyewitnesses to the resurrection but still choose to put their faith in money? Apparently, seeing is not believing. We don't actually believe what we see. We see what we already believe. Everybody believes in some myth. Some formula for how they will see happiness. Like the guards, your favorite myth may be that if only you could get a large sum of money, you'd be fine. Or maybe the currency you value is friendship or work. If only I had a real friend, if only I could get a real job. Any sentence that begins with the words, if only, is probably an invitation to another myth. And I'm amazed at the sturdiness of these myths. In spite of constantly failing to make us happy, people still put their faith in them. If only I could get a lot of money soon becomes, if only I could get a little more money And even if you have friends, you'll always want better friends who really understand you. And even if you get a good job, how long is it before you're looking for another job? It doesn't matter that we see others unhappy with all the things we yearn to find. Nor does it matter that we ourselves have been let down repeatedly by these things. We still cling to our favorite mythology, thinking that if only we're faithful to it, we'll be saved. And the resurrection was terrifying to the guards, not because of the earthquakes or the lightning, but because it threatened their cherished plan for finding salvation. And as soon as they got past Easter, they returned to the money plan. So in spite of all of our talk about rationalism and modern scientific commitments, when it comes to things that really matter, things of the heart and how we will put life together, the evidence is beside the point. We only see what we've already chosen to believe. And that's true even if we realize that what we believe is a myth. After many years, we get to a place where we cannot abandon the plan, even if we know it will not save us. It's all we know, it's all we can see. But what if you've chosen to believe not in the mythical formula, but in a person named Jesus Christ? What if, like the disciples, you've tried to follow him and struggle to make sense of his teaching? What if you believe, as Peter did, that Jesus is the son of the living God? Would the resurrection be easy for you then? Not according to Matthew. He tells us that the 11 disciples encountered the risen Jesus back in Galilee, and even though they were looking right at him, some of them still doubted. Again, that's just amazing. For three years, they saw him miraculously heal the sick, feed the hungry, cast out demons, and even raise Lazarus from the dead. Three days ago, they saw him dead on a cross, and now they're standing in front of him, risen from the dead, and some say, Well, I just don't know. 
Our text, which is translated, some of them doubted, could also be translated, they had some doubts. So maybe Matthew's point is that there are few who had doubts about Jesus, or maybe he was telling us that they all had a few doubts. It's amazing either way. But it shouldn't amaze me because I'm also a disciple of Jesus and I too have a few doubts. Maybe some of you here today do as well. We too have seen an awful lot of Jesus' faithfulness. We have more blessings than we know how to count and certainly more than we deserve. Jesus has saved our lives over and over, day after day, year after year. And yet, faced with the anxiety du jour, we always wonder if Jesus is able to do anything about this. Which is actually a way of wondering if he is really alive. And now we're getting to the doubts of those of us who hang around churches. We know the creeds, we know the biblical stories, and we know the hymns. We know that if it was truly the Son of God, we crucified last Friday. And we keep worshiping. But we still have a hard time believing in what we know, especially when it comes to the significance of Easter. Nicholas Wolterstorff is a retired professor from Yale Divinity School who taught faith to others for many years. And then his son was killed in a tragic mountain climbing accident. And in his moving book, Lament for a Son, he writes, my life has been divided into before and after. Never again will anyone inhabit the world the way he did. Only a hole remains, a void, a gap. My son is gone. The ache of the loss sinks down and down, deep beyond all telling. How deep do souls go? When Wolterstorff comes to the New Testament text to describe the resurrection of God's Son, he struggles to believe. He has his doubts, not that it happened, but more importantly, that it makes any difference. But he chooses to keep worshiping because he refuses to fall into that deep hole in his soul as if death has the last word. It's a grand tradition that goes all the way back to the first disciples in Galilee. They had some doubts, the text says, but still they worshipped him. And it's in that choice to worship that humanity reaches its most heroic moment. It's how we stay out of the dark hole. In the end, faith is not an intellectual struggle against mythology, nor is it an emotional struggle against grief and heartache. In the end, faith is an act of the will, a choice to worship Jesus as the resurrection and the life. And what is most amazing in this text is not that the disciples continue have to have their doubts after the resurrection. What is most amazing is that Jesus isn't bothered by those doubts. And that's because they still worshipped him in spite of their doubts. Lord knows literally that if we just stay in worship where we are focused on the risen Jesus, eventually we will come to doubt our doubts and faith will emerge. As a pastor, I've learned that it is pointless to tell people to have faith. 
I cannot give faith to anyone. And no one comes to believe just because preachers keep calling for it. It's not unlike what I have learned about friendships from talking to my siblings and other parents of young children. They want their kids to have good friendships. But they can't give them friends just by talking about relationships. What they can do is arrange meetings with other kids where friendships may or may not occur. And at that point, it's out of their hands. And that's what we do every Sunday. When as pastors, we call you to worship. It's your meeting with God. What happens in the course of the hour, whether or not faith in the new life develops, is up to the two of you. But I'm certain that it will not emerge unless you choose to keep returning to the sacred meeting place. Matthew tells us that as the disciples chose to worship, Jesus came to them. There's the fundamental pattern of worship. We bring our doubts, grief, failed mythologies, and host of anxieties to worship, and then Jesus comes to us. And he then becomes the sole object of our faith. Our faith is not in doctrine, the church, the pastor, or in a particular position in the prevailing social and political debates. We believe in Jesus, risen from the dead. Do you see? Your whole understanding of life's adventure is dependent on choosing to keep meeting the risen Christ in worship. You'll have to change every other belief you have if you choose to accept this one. You'll finally be able to give up the guilt and shame for what you have done and left undone. It can no longer be the defining last word on your life. Do you have to give up the hurt caused by the guilt of others? Do you have to give up waking every morning with anxiety that the wheels are about to fall off your life and it's up to you to save yourself? Now there is a risen Savior on the loose who's not nearly done with your life. I'm not telling you not to be afraid because Jesus will help your mythological dreams come true. He won't. Nor am I telling you not to doubt because all of this resurrection business can be explained. It cannot. No, I'm giving you news worthy of doubt. Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. And in his life, you have new life. Easter is not about springtime crocuses, eggs, bunnies, or the perseverance of the human spirit. And really, does any of that excite you? Can it change your life? Was it the metaphor of springtime that allowed a small band of frightened, doubting disciples to be transformed into the visionary apostles who eventually won the Roman Empire? No. It was the proclamation that Jesus has risen from the dead. That was the great belief that, like an earthquake, shook the foundation of every mythology. And as the apostles proclaimed this message to one person at a time, people discovered they could have the new life they were desperately craving. And so can you. If a tomb cannot hold Jesus, it cannot hold you either. There's more life waiting for you more than you know.
But you have to believe to see. That's why your life depends on worship. And bring your doubts with you. Because that's always been fine with Jesus. Amen.